All right, well, please do pull out your message outline as we're in this new series of messages uh, called Brain Freeze. Uh, we began it last week, and what we're doing is we're thinking about our mind. And what we, we're really thinking through, well, what do we think about? And how do we think right thoughts? Uh, right thoughts in the sense that will affect our lives. Now, last week I said that the human mind is arguably our greatest gift given to us by God. And, and as I also said last week, the Bible has a lot to say about the mind, especially about loving God with all of our mind. In Matthew's Gospel, in response to a question that Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul and with all of your mind. Now notice we don't just throw these services together, if you remember the song we just learned a minute or so ago. But, but we know this verse well about loving the Lord our God with our soul, with, our, with all of our heart, with all of our soul, but it also says with our mind. What does that mean? What does that mean to love the Lord your God with all of your mind? Now to this day we call ourselves homo sapiens, which means thinking beings. This is not simply a scientific clarification or classification, it is a spiritual classification. We were made, as human beings, we were made in God's image. And one of the most precious and noble dynamics of being in the image of God is to have this ability to think. It's what separates us from other creatures that God created. He gave us the ability, as in the image of God, to think. In fact, in Isaiah 1 verse 18, God says, Come now, let us reason together. We can reason with God because God has given us his his humanity, this gift of a mind of the ability to think. And the Christian mind is not simply thinking. A Christian mind is in fact different if you're a Christian. It It is the way to think the thoughts of God. When Jesus said in response to that question, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul and your mind, he was actually quoting an Old Testament scripture found in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Jesus made this statement and it almost sounds as if he quoted scripture directly and intact, but in essence he made one significant change. If you go back to Deuteronomy 6 where we have what is called the Shema in verse 4, it says this, It says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then in verse 5 we read, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Now when Jesus quoted it, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. Some say, well, Jesus just added a fourth dimension to the Old Testament scripture. Or perhaps, perhaps what he's meant here is that we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, doing that with all of our strength, and we love the Lord our God with all of our soul, doing that with all of our strength. And then we love the Lord our God with all of our mind, doing that with all of our strength. Well, whatever it means, what it does mean is that Jesus took the liberty, which he alone can do, to change the question, the quotation from the Old Testament and make it the point of importance the importance of the Christian's mind. God gave us a mind and he tells us in his word to love him, to love God with all of our mind. And that is an intentional statement about the importance of the priority of Christian thinking. 
C.S. Lewis reminds us that God is not fond of intellectual slackers. Uh, and any other kind of slackers, in fact. This is what he said, quote, If you're thinking of becoming a Christian, I warn you, you are embarking on something which is going to take the whole of you, brains and all. And he was right, isn't it? You know, some people say if you become a Christian, you just put your brain in neutral and don't think about anything. Actually, the reverse is true, isn't it? If you become a Christian, you will be thinking about lots of things that you've probably not thought about before, before you became a Christian. So C.S. Lewis is right because he's only uh, reminding us what the Bible says. So I want to explore with you this question, how can I love God with all of my mind? How, how do I actually do that? And this morning I want to give you four ways in which we can do that. Follow with me on your outline because the first thing is this, we love God with all of our mind when we feed on God's word. Now the Bible is the word of God. God has given to us a message straight from him to us. Now, there are many places we could turn to to back this up, but the best place, I think, is Psalm 119. Now, let me just tell you about this psalm. Psalm 119 is a beautiful Hebrew poem. That's how you need to read this psalm. It's, a, it's actually an acrostic poem. Now, in most of your Bibles, if you haven't got one with me, you can look at this when you get home, but in most of your Bibles, you will see that before the first eight verses, there is a little Hebrew letter. And then next to that is the word Aleph then that's the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Go down eight verses and you'll see the next letter, which is Baith, which is the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Psalm 119 has 22 paragraphs. All of them have eight verses, and each paragraph begins with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And if you could see this in Hebrew, every verse of the eight verses begins with the same letter of the Hebrew alphabet at the top of the paragraph. So this is a psalm that David put together to just express in poetic form, but really to express his incredible love for the word of God. And here's what David wrote, verse 97. Oh, how I love your Lord. In other words, how I love your word. I meditate on it all day long. Your commands make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. There are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. There are 22 paragraphs in Psalm 119, and each paragraph starts with the next letter. It is a beautiful poem discussing the Bible and just expressing how much David loved God's word. Now, if you read this psalm, you will discover that in almost every single verse of Psalm 119, of all these 176 verses, there is a synonym for the word of God. There are at least eight of them, such as the law, the testimonies, your ways, your precepts, your statutes, your commandments, your judgments, your ordinances. All of them synonyms for the word. But it isn't just that. Because also in this psalm, there are many action verbs. In other words, verbs that tell us how we're to get this psalm, and in fact God's word, into our system. How we're to respond when we read it. What are we supposed to do with it? So from Psalm 119, here are the action words that we get, that we find, that give us something of the idea of how we are to approach scripture. In other words, when we read it, what we do with it. Here's what the psalmist says. When it comes to the word of God, you should walk in it, keep it, seek it, look into it, learn it, take heed to it, 
Hide it in your heart, rejoice in it, meditate on it, contemplate it, don't forget it, strengthen yourself according to it, get the understanding of it, incline your heart to it, be revived in it, remember it, be taught from it, consider it, direct your steps according to it, and get understanding from it. Now, that's what you should do when you read the Bible. Now, maybe not all in one go, but you get the idea, don't you? That's what the Bible says you can do from the Bible and from this psalm. David says, this is what you do. You go to the word of God and you feed on it. You let it become what drives you and keeps you going every day. And all of these verbs tell us how to do that. Oh, how I love the law, says David. How I love the word. Now, here's what you need to remember. If you are a Christian, you cannot have a Christian mind without reading the scriptures because you cannot be profoundly changed by that which you do not know. If you are filled with God's word, your life can then be informed and directed by God. It's as simple as that. Your relationships, your parenting, your career, your decisions in life, your interior moral life, the way to a Christian mind is through God's word. If you want to love the Lord your God with all your mind, you can't put a bi- your Bible on a shelf and neglect it. It's got to be... It's got to be centrepiece to that quest. So we learn to love the Lord, our God, with all of our mind when we feed on God's word. Generally speaking, our relationship to God runs along the same lines as our relationship to his word. So if we say we love God, ultimately somewhere in the process we will learn to love this book. You can't read this book, the Bible, like any other book because it isn't like any other book. You have to read it as if it's like a love letter from God speaking directly to you. And when you do that, you begin to love God with all of your mind. Secondly, you love God with all your mind when you find God's wisdom. Now this is an intriguing thought perhaps. Let me show you from Proverbs, which is described in the Bible as wisdom literature. Proverbs 3.13 says... Happy is the person who finds wisdom and gains understanding. Proverbs 8 verse 11 says, For wisdom is far more valuable than rubies. Nothing you desire can be compared with it. And Proverbs 16 16 says, How much better to get wisdom than gold, to choose understanding rather than silver. And Solomon, who wrote Proverbs, describes wisdom this way. He says in Proverbs 3 verse 16 through 18, Long life is in her right hand, in her left hand are riches and honour, her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who embrace her, those who lay hold of her will be blessed. Wisdom, says Solomon, is something we look for and we can find it. Now let's just ask this question. What's the difference between knowledge, knowing what the Bible says, and wisdom? Let me kind of illustrate it like this, and I might be on tricky ground here because I'm not the most technical person, so we'll see. I'm sure those of you who know this stuff will come back to me at the end of the service. But let's say if you have a computer, your computer has a hard drive. Now into that hard drive, all kinds of information is loaded and stored. Everything and anything you put into that hard drive is there. 
Then you get a software package and that software package helps you figure out how to manage what's on your hard drive. So it uses the information, but it directs it in different ways and applies it to particular situations. The Bible is a book full of information. If all you have is inf information, you're not going to be able to function. What you need is wisdom. What is wisdom? Wisdom is doing the right thing. Wisdom is the ability to take the word of God and apply it to the situations in life that you face. And if you've ever needed wisdom, it's today, isn't it? I mean, you know, I mean, every day we're faced with things perhaps that we've never been faced with before in just this change in society and things that come at us and we think, well, what do I think about this? How, how am I wise in this situation? What is the right thing to do here? What is wisdom? It is doing the right thing. And some things in life we can figure out because we've been there before, we've done it before, but today it seems like more than ever we are facing things that we've never faced before. So I have to ask God for wisdom, which is the ability to apply the word of God, what the word of God says to a particular situation. And therefore, in a willing mind, wisdom enables you to hear with God's ears and to see with God's eyes. Wisdom, in effect, is inspired perception into people and situations. It is the vertical thrust of the mind of God into our minds, making discernment possible on the horizontal, horizontal level of human affairs. With wisdom, we can penetrate the mysteries of God. We can sense his nature, his plan and his purpose. And if we long to know God's plan for our lives, wisdom is the gift that we need. And we love God with our minds when we find God's wisdom. And wisdom comes when we're able to take what we know from the word of God and we allow God to let it settle in and to meditate, meditate on that and to learn it. That's key if you want wisdom. But we live in a fast-paced, internet-dependent world where we live in what's more and more challenging. And the internet encourages the opposite that creates wisdom. What wisdom is, what creates wisdom are things like stillness and time and sometimes even suffering. On the internet, there's no such thing as waiting, is there? I mean, man, if you click on Google and it takes like, you know, more than a second to load up, well, you're annoyed, aren't you? You want that information immediately, don't you? You click and click and click and you want that information and, you know, there is just this, there is just this constant churning. There's, there's no such thing as stillness online, is there? The internet just takes information upon information and just keeps stuffing our minds with information. Much of it is valuable, but a lot of it ain't valuable, is it? And don't get me wrong, I'm not against the internet, far from it. But before we know it, if we're so dependent on online stuff, we are overwhelmed with information and we almost have no wisdom because we've had no time for wisdom to take control in our life. So what does that mean? Well, maybe it means we need to make a few decisions. So I've got three pieces of tech that I use a lot. I've got an iPhone, I've got a computer and I've got an iPad. It dawned on me some time ago, uh, I was in my office and an email came and my phone went off, my iPad went off and my computer went off. All three of them 
pretty much at the same time. You know, ding, ding, and ding. And I thought to myself, do you know what? One ding is enough for me, thank you very much. I don't need three going off like that. So I've turned the dings off. You might want to do that. I've turned off my notifications. I've turned off all those sorts of things that suddenly just invade my life when I'm not ready to look at them. Now, I don't know what you need to do, but what I'm saying is this. I'm certainly not against technology, but, but, but sometimes we just need to take a step back and we just need to say, do you know what? I'm just overwhelmed. I'm just overwhelmed by what's going on with my technology and I just have no time to stop and to think and to think what God wants me to think about. And one of the things that can keep us from wisdom we need is not having enough time to think God's thoughts after him. So here's a good illustration of how wisdom works. In 2 Timothy 2 verse uh, 7, Paul is uh, writing to Timothy, and in one verse he sort of puts it all together for us. He says, think about what I am saying, the Lord will give you understanding in all these things. Now watch this. The command to Timothy is to think, to consider, to use his mind. And the reason Paul gives for thinking is this. For when you do this, he says to Timothy, the Lord will give you understanding. Paul doesn't put these intentions, thinking on the one side and receiving the gift of understanding on the other side. He is saying, no, they go together. Thinking is essential to the goal of understanding. And in order to find wisdom, we must think and pray and God will take our thinking and direct it to the proper channel so that wisdom will be the result and I love what James says in James 1 verse 5 if any of you lacks wisdom he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to him so if you're struggling about a decision if you think, what is the wise thing to do here? What's the wise choice I need to make? What do I do? Then James 1 tells us. In fact, James promises us that if you lack wisdom, we just should ask God. Here's what our prayer should be, in effect. Lord God, help me understand what your word means in the situation that I am facing. Give me wisdom to know what to do. Remember, it is God's word into our hearts and lives and minds that will give us wisdom. And God will answer that prayer. So we feed on God's word, we find God's wisdom. Thirdly, we love God with all of our mind when we follow God's will. How do I love the Lord, our God, with all of our minds? Well, I follow his will. Simply, Here's where we get all kind of mystical. What is the Lord's will for my life and all that kind of stuff? Here's the simple way to understand what God's will is. I do what he tells me to do. Simple. In fact, Romans 12, 2 puts it like this. Notice, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now watch what he says next. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing and perfect will. God's will is perfect, his general will for all of us is perfect, and his individual will for us is perfect. That's why we should always be praying the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
If you want to love the Lord your God with all of your mind, you will learn to pray that prayer. For when we seek and we follow God's will for our lives, we are loving him with all of our minds and with all of our heart and all of our soul. And here's the fascinating part of loving God with all of our minds. God has a different will for each one of us and he communicates that will to us from the earliest days in our lives. Now, we may not be listening to that. We may not even be tuned into that. But God does speak to us, communicate to us his will at an early point. That from the moment that we are born, especially if we are blessed by being born into a Christian family, God begins to work on us and show us his will for our lives. Interestingly, back in that passage in Deuteronomy chapter 6, which is a great passage, well worth having a read, God gives to the people of Israel a little formula. Right after the verse we read earlier about loving the Lord your God with all of your mind, he writes in verse 6, these commandments that I give you today are there to be, are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. So God is saying to the people of Israel, he says, look, if you want your children to grow up knowing that the Lord your God is one God, if you want them to know how to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul and mind, it starts at an early age. The Bible says that the will of God is communicated to your children when you sit down and when you get up, when you lie down and when you rise up. And what is he saying using these metaphors? He's saying that the will of God is communicated by our whole life to our children. It's how we live before them. And it's wonderful to have times of reading the Bible with our children, which I really encourage you to do. Make time for that, sit down with them and do that. Grandparents do exactly the same if you're able to. But make sure you understand that that's not the end of it all. That's just, in fact, the beginning of it. That's where it starts. When you live that whole life, Christian life, I promise you, your kids will learn more about who you are in Christ during the times when you are under pressure than they'll ever learn in times of fortune. They will learn, my mum and dad are under pressure at the moment, but, 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 but they are trusting God here. My mum and dad are facing challenges, but they know that God will never leave them nor forsake them, and they trust him. That's where they really learn about our faith. And interestingly, the book of Deuteronomy, in which this, this truth is recorded, comes after the book of Exodus. In the book of Exodus, we have the story of the people of God in Egypt. And in Egypt, there were many so-called gods. In fact, history records that the gods of Egypt were often in conflict with one another. So supposedly one god would say, well, do this, and another god would say, no, 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 do that. And then another god would contradict the third god. And it's just this massive confusion. So God says in Deuteronomy 6 verse 4, Hear, O Israel, this is called the Shema, it means hearing, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Lord our God, who is one God, has one will. He's not in conflict with any, and if you know the will of God, there isn't anything to contest. It is God's will. And the will of God for you can be known, and God does have a plan for your life. So whatever the will of God is for our life, God demands all that we can do and all that we can think. Jesus tells us that we're to love God with all of our minds and he means everything our mind is capable of doing is to be devoted to God. So let me kind of put this where the rubber hits the road for you. So um, 
I don't know, if you're the kind of person that if your mind can spin out complex mathematical calculations, you are to love God in mathematics. If your mind can plan a project, design something, analyse a novel, understand a philosophical problem or imagine a story, you are to love God through your planning and designing and analysing and understanding or imagining. When Jesus says all the mind, he's claiming every mental faculty that you have. He wants you to love God with all that you do. And then he says all your mind. He is telling you that this is a very personal thing. Not everyone has the same ability, but that, that doesn't matter actually. So, so our mind encompasses a wide range of talents and abilities. Some minds, for example, are gifted in the sciences. Some minds are gifted in the arts. Some minds are orientated to academia and higher education. Some are interested in more mundane things, but no one set of talents is better than any other because, you see, every calling is equal before God. The point is, whatever our calling might be, whatever the will of God is for our life, God demands all that we can do and all that we can think. So, when you leave here and you go to work tomorrow and on Monday, you don't walk out of the sphere of where God is in control. Whatever you do, even if it has nothing to do with the church or nothing to do with the Bible, whatever your job is, you should go there and you should say as you walk through the door, Lord God, you've given me a great gift in this mind that I have. Help me to use my mind to bring glory to your name today. And God is just waiting for willingness on our part to do that. We are loving God with all of our minds when we use our God-given intellect to understand our God-given wisdom and follow the Lord's will for our lives and to use the gifts he's given to us for his glory. That's how we love God. See, personally, I've never had to get up in the morning and go, Lord, what is it you want me to do with my life today? I learned a long time ago what God wanted me to do with my life. See, I get up on Monday and do you know what I think about? I think about Sunday. Because you see, Sunday comes around very, very quickly. Let me tell you when you've got to come up with sermons. And my life is totally involved in the word of God and what God has called me to do. That's God's will for my life. And I'm not going to take any detours. I'm not getting caught up in what's going to take me away from that. I'm just going to keep doing what God has called me to do because that's what God has called me to do, to do his will. And your calling will be different. God's will for you will be different than mine. But we are to love the Lord our God with all our minds when we feed on his word, when we find his wisdom, and when we follow his will. And then finally, we love God with all of our mind when we fight God's war. Then you may say, you mean there's a war? Absolutely there's a war. In 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 to 5, there's a war that involves our mind. Here's what Paul says. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. What is Paul saying here? Well, he's saying another way to view the Christian life is to see the effect, to see that in effect, we are kind of involved in a warfare. And in this warfare, there is a negative and positive aspect to this mission. Everything that exalts himself against God must be thrown down, says Scripture. 
And every thought that must be brought must be brought under the captivity of Christ, under the control of Christ. Paul wants us to know that the greatest battles in the Christian life are very often fought between our ears, in our minds. Have you found that? If you're a Christian, you're suddenly battling with this and things come into your mind and you just think, why am I doing this? Why am I thinking this way? Why am I like this? These are the battles that we face. And I think what he's saying here is when he talks about demolishing arguments in reflection of what, in, in reflection of what we read, I think it kind of ties in with 1 Peter 3 verse 15, which says, But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. And the word answer here, the word in the Greek is apologia, which means an organised answer to the questions that people ask. Now I think we are living in an age where people are asking all sorts of questions about Christianity. Maybe some questions that have never asked before. And I also think we're living in an age where people are very mean towards Christianity. I mean, you don't have to read, no, but there are so many books that are written today that are just anti-Christianity, almost from cover to the very back. And every one of us, as we walk through life, we need to start equipping ourselves with some answers. How do you answer some of these things that come your way? And you think, what do I think about this? What should I say about this thing? I'll give you one simple illustration. One of the most difficult things about Christianity to, to those who don't know Jesus is the fact that the Bible teaches that there is only one way to God. That's politically incorrect today. And people just steam about that when they hear that. When they say, so you're saying you think that there's just one way to God. What about all these other religions? What about all these other kinds of people? You're telling me there's only one way to God and we say, absolutely. And they'll say, well, why do you believe that then? Well, because that's what the Bible says. Jesus said in John 14, verse 6, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, what part of that don't we understand? And in the sermon, in Acts 4, verse 12, Peter said about Jesus, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. And people don't like that. People get so upset when they find out the Bible teaches that there is in fact only one way to God. There is only one way to get to heaven and that is through Christ. But why should we be surprised about that? Let me put it this way. Did you ever think about the fact that the way you came into the world is the same way everybody else came into the world? There's only one way to become a human being. You've got to be born, haven't you? There aren't many ways, there's just one way. To become a human being, there's just one way. So if there's just one way for your first birth, why should you be surprised if there's just one way for your second birth? It's just the way God does things. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a path before each person that seems right, but in, it ends in death. The Bible also says in Matthew 7, 13 and 14, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. 
There is a narrow road, the Bible says, and there is a wide road. Those who are on the narrow road are the ones who are going to heaven. The wide road, the Bible says, many walk on there, but they are heading towards destruction. And so often what happens is, is that we're intimidated by the questions that people ask of us as Christians. And maybe we should just stop and we need to read a few more books and we need to learn a few more things and read the word of God more and know the answers to these things. Now, we don't need to be on the defensive all the time. God has given you a mind. But, and if we don't study, and we, well, we're just throwing away our weapons going into the war without any weapons whatsoever. We need to use this mind and, as a Christian, know the answers to these things. That's why we're giving you and encouraging you to buy these various books and stuff, to equip you. So how do we love God? We love God by feeding on God's word, by finding his wisdom, by following his way. But we also love God by getting into this intellectual, cultural war that is going on around us and learning how to respond to the questions that people have and be able to give an answer in a way that is sensitive and gentle, but an answer that brings glory to God. How do you do all this? I mean, I'm a preacher and this is what I do for a living. I mean, I love the word of God. I spend a lot of time on it every week. But how do you do this? Let me suggest one way. Train yourself in the word of God. It is possible, even for the busiest of us, to systematically train ourselves in the word of God, no matter how busy we are. And when we do this, it will demonstrate to everybody around us. People will see that we are men and women of the word and it will affect every area of our life, our family life, our spiritual life, our work life. Each of the great problems that we face in life will be informed by the word of God. If you are struggling in any of those areas and you think, what do I do here? My first question is, are you in the word of God? Are you reading it? Are you applying it? Are you learning from it? Because when we do that, that's how, that's how we can go through life as Christians, if we want to love the Lord our God with all of our minds. And you say, well, Pastor Phil, come on, here we go again. I've got to tell you, I'm just a busy person. I mean, I lead a busy life. There's no way I'm going to be able to read the Bible every day. But that's not the point, is it? The point is you've got to start where you are. If you don't read the Bible, start tomorrow. Read one verse, one paragraph, one chapter. Everybody in the room can do this. Now, I don't suggest you start by reading Psalm 119 because you probably give up before you get anywhere with it. But, but read what you can cope with. You know, even if you think, I can only do one verse a day, get a Bible app and let it ping up on your notifications. That's one notification. I do allow my iPhone, by the way. Um, but let it ping up so you've got a verse for the day just for you to read and take with you through the day. You cannot love God with all of your mind if there's nothing of God's word in your mind with which to love him. You know, if it's true that the software package works from the hard drive, the problem that the Holy Spirit has in many of our lives is that we haven't given him anything to work with. Here's how the Holy Spirit works. He takes the word of God that we have learned and heard and studied and he uses that to direct us and to guide us. But we, if we have none of the word of God in our system, if I can put it like this, we are tying the Holy Spirit's hands behind his back. We're giving him nothing with which to work with. 
There's no such thing as loving the Lord your God with all of your mind and putting your Bible on the shelf and never looking at it. Now, now this is not a guilt trip. Please don't hear that. This is just an encouragement. You want a better way of life? You want a better sense of peace in your heart? You want a better direction in your life? Don't neglect the gift God has given you. The word of God is a wonderful gift. God is enough and his word is sufficient. Let's take what we have and make it the best thing that we've got and walk through life saying, with God on my side and working together with the word of God, I'm sufficient for any challenge that comes my way. And you will be. You will be if you follow God and his word. Let's pray. And our Father, we do truly come before you and thank you for the word of God. We thank you that that's how you speak to us. We thank you that you love us so much that you communicate to us through scripture. And Lord, we truly do want to love you with all of our being, our, our heart and our soul and also our mind. And as we've been thinking this morning, we need to engage this wonderful gift that you've given us, our mind. And we need to engage it with the things of God. So help us this week to, if we don't read our Bibles, to start. If we seem to be so busy with life or just kind of so much time on the internet and just so busy with information overload, instead, Lord, help us to maybe switch off some of that stuff for a bit, to stop and to pause and to have some time and space, to stop and to really think what you want us to think through if we're struggling with a decision, if we're struggling with errors in our life, if we're finding that we're making poor choices, help us to read your word and discover wisdom. Because as James tells us, if we ask for wisdom, we will find it. You will give it to us. And Lord, if we don't know you, if this morning we're here and we kind of don't know much about you or we're just thinking about what uh, the Bible says, help us to maybe start by reading Mark's Gospel, to find out who this Jesus Christ is, to read through the pages of Scripture, to find out more that how your word speaks to us as well. Lord, it is about your kingdom, and it's about knowing more about your kingdom and your word and what your plans and purposes are. So Lord, help us to be kingdom people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.